Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. This week's character unlock, where we're going to take a, a little bit of a, a weird road today. And instead of talking just about what we've been playing, we could talk about the uh, recently announced SNES Mini. Uh, I am hosting today. I am Andrew Brooker, and along with me is my good buddy John Miller. You're right, John. Howdy. And joining us for the second time, our, our first guest to ever return. So we haven't scared everybody off yet. The uh, king of retro gaming, Mr. Matt Lamborn. You're right, mate. Evening, gents. Thanks for having me back. And just for the record, I'm more of a SNES kind of guy than SNES. Oh, yeah. Everyone has a slightly different way of saying it, but just for the record, I'm a SNES kind of guy with two S's. Okay. You're not a Super NES guy, then? No, I'm not a Super that... NES or Super NES. Or, oh, God, or... no. That I hate that one. Super NES bugs me. Really bugs me. <laughs> There's so many variations of it, though. You know, Nintendo have got a brand issue there they need to sort out. Yeah. But yeah, so we're going to because uh, obviously Nintendo last week, week before, announced the uh, the Super Nintendo Mini. Is it the Mini or the Classic? They called it. Isn't it the Classic Mini? Or, <laughs> or the, mini the Mini Classic. <laughs> <laughs> Fucking hell! <laughs> yeah, talk about a branding problem. <laughs> SEO guys across the country are having absolute kittens with this one. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, we're gonna gonna have a little bit of a, a chat about that. But beforehand, there's there's a couple of little bits of, of news we want to want to talk about. Probably most obvious is the, the one that we all saw come in, even though everybody, you know, everybody at Activision said it was never going to happen, was we're getting Call of Duty Modern Warfare remastered as a standalone disc, currently just for PS4, but Xbox to to follow. So, come in, lads. Who didn't see this coming? <laughs> What an absolute shambles this is. I mean, they couldn't, have, they couldn't have handled the whole Infinite Warfare with Modern Warfare Remastered tacked on any worse than they did back at Christmas. No. Infinite Warfare, despite selling well, is going to go down as one of the most disappointing and most hated games of all time. And it's actually made people, rather than buy it up even more to get hold of Modern Warfare, it's making people stay away from Modern Warfare Remastered who would have easily had lapped it up for forty pounds yep. back in December if they'd been able to get onto it now. The hype's completely gone and now only half the player base can actually buy it right away anyway. It's an absolute shit show. Oh, it's, a, it's a complete clusterfuck because on top of reselling the game, this I can't believe Activision do this, but it's got fucking microtransactions. It's got DLC maps for a fucking ten year old game. <laughs> You know, this this is not an okay way to release a game, and you know, under normal circumstances. But to 
but to release what is essentially a remastered Game of the Year edition and still sell DLC for it is pretty shit. Yeah, we've got ourselves a game which... all the, I don't understand what the hate was for Infinite Warfare. I really enjoyed it. A uh, single player, anyway. But the multiplayer on it, nobody cared about it. And I think that because they tacked on Modern Warfare Remastered, it's why a lot of people boycotted the game in the first place. They didn't want to spend £80 on a game that they were going to play not at all just to play Modern Warfare Remaster. And you think about it right from the get-go... No fucker was going to spend £80 on Modern Warfare Remastered to be able to buy it for 40 quid in six months' time. <laughs> <laughs> well, I did. I was um... going to say, well, I, I wasn't going to... Mm, yeah, I, I mean, I did buy Infinite Warfare digitally, mainly because I wanted Modern Warfare Remastered A, and B, didn't want to have the fucking Infinite Warfare disc installed to play. Uh, <laughs> so I can... Big point. Well, this is it. So I can remove... Infinite Warfare from my Xbox and still play Modern Warfare Remastered. But after all of this shit, after all of this complete bollocks, the least Activision could do is make it so that you, the people that bought the disc-based Infinite Warfare and Modern Warfare Remastered can uninstall Infinite Warfare now. The least they could do is that. Now they're selling a disc-based version of the game all on its own. Come on, guys. Fucking hell. <laughs> Which is basically another step in Activision's quest to become the new EA, the most hated but profitable company in the world. But um, it's interesting the point you made about allowing people to un- uninstall Infinite Warfare to play, because it does take up a, a hefty chunk of your hard drive capacity. Yep. If you, like most people, I'm sure most of the player base are on a 500 gig hard drive, which that's going to eat up at least 20, 25% of it straight away. And when I bought uh, the Legacy Edition back when it came out at the end of last year, that was on the the premise that Infinite Warfare looked pretty good from a multiplayer point of view. The trailers they put out, I didn't think looked too bad. Uh, and as John says, the campaign is actually a really good romp. Um, doesn't last too long, but that's probably a good thing. But well, the yeah, multiplayer is just so interesting. Yeah, the the multiplayer is so uninteresting. It's not a surprise that hardly anyone's playing it these days. And uh, I'm sure that uh, Activision can't wait to get um, World War II out there and ready to go so they can forget about IW completely. But um, I bought it on digital back when it first came out. Was so astounded by its crapness that it's the first game I've contacted Microsoft about and demanded a refund for. Really? Yeah. Uh, basically told them that I'd ordered the wrong version. They refunded it. No arguments. I've since bought it again um, because I w- I've been tracking the price of the Legacy Edition once a week or so since it came out to see when it was going to drop. And it's, it's so steadily came down to around the £40 mark brand new. I managed to get it for £28 secondhand from game. Oh, wow. Just this, just this weekend. So, And this is on Xbox, by the way, because I don't want to wait even longer for the standalone version to come out. So I've in, <laughs> installed Infinite Warfare. I've installed Modern Warfare Remastered. It's taken literally all day to download the updates. So I had to wait 24 hours before I could play the damn thing. Jesus. And we're going to talk about what we've been playing a little bit later where I'll discuss the single-player campaign. But I went on to multiplayer on Modern Warfare Remastered, and my God, it's a dog. 
Really? Just all these multi-colored guns all over the place. Oh. They just wrecked the feel of the game entirely. It was supposed to be a really gritty, dirty yeah. multiplayer war game. And it's yeah, it's got the same problem as a lot of Call of Duty's tend to get after it's, a while. It just goes a little bit too insane. And, and somehow they've Call of Duty-fied Call of Duty. Well, they've modern Call of Duty-fied... <laughs> a classic Call of Duty game yeah. because I would say up until even with Modern uh, Warfare 2 that the games up until that point were all of a certain high watermark in terms of how uh, prestigious they were yeah. deemed to be by the community and then after that they started going in lots of different directions with the series and it got a little bit tainted um, but Modern Warfare stood alone as this shining beacon of what a first-person shooter should be, both in single-player and multiplayer. And now it's it's just been absolutely raped, for lack of a better word. So yeah. very disappointed in the direction it's gone in. Um, if I was an Xbox user, I wouldn't sit around too long waiting for the, the standalone to come out. And if they just waited, waited too long. If they'd done this February time, maybe? Yeah. Maybe the hype would still be strong enough for people to get involved. I don't see people going out in their droves and buying this now. Maybe if they've done case, it before they announce their latest game. Yes, <laughs> that is also another point. I mean, the the game is coming to an end of its natural life cycle anyway. So by this stage, you would expect the servers to be dwindling in numbers. So why on earth you would invest in this to play multiplayer, at least anyway? It defies all logic. So very strange decisions there by... Activision, and they pretty much couldn't have handled this any worse than they have done, as far as I'm concerned. So would Doesn't... we uh, would we pick up Modern Warfare 2 if they'd done a remastered one? Yes, but I would do it immediately to play it at its absolute peak in terms of the amount of people playing it before yeah. they litter it with supply drops and other crappy additions that they've added onto Modern Warfare Remastered. Um, I don't see the point in waiting. Basically, the the justification is, if you if it's a game you know you're going to love, the price hike is almost justifiable, yeah. even if it's a little bit disgusting. Um, given the amount of enjoyment you'll probably get out of playing the game, it, it will become good value. But if you wait until the state's in now, where the game's effectively crippled with absolute nonsense, then you're not getting good value for money, even if it is the price of a normal release at yeah. 20 to 30 quid. It's just It's just not good now. So if they do Modern Warfare 2, I'll get it day one, thrash it for two or three months and move it on. <laughs> it's, it's interesting you say that, because I, mean, uh, I bought Modern Warfare Remastered, or I bought the Legacy Edition for Modern Warfare Remastered, almost solely for the single player. Because Modern Warfare is an infinitely, obviously you, you're going to talk about it in a little while, but I, I find it an infinitely replayable game. So as much as I think Activision have been complete dicks, it's still kind of worth it for me to spend that money on the game because I will gladly go I say that I haven't finished Modern Warfare Remastered yet but it is, it's one of those games that still I think as a single player experience it holds up very well so I'm, I'm quite happy to spend the money although I think if Activision done it again I would be dubious about any release they, uh, they give for Modern Warfare 2 or 3 unless we get a I don't know a trilogy collection on disc, then I might throw money at it straight away. Well, they did that for the previous gen, didn't they? They put out a, a Modern Warfare collection. Yeah. Um, which, that would be brilliant if they did that with spruced up graphics and whatnot. Everyone would lap that up. Oh, absolutely. Um, 
but now they they they've they've seen what it potentially can do for something that's falling by the wayside like infinite warfare and try and boost the numbers if they do another call of duty that's somewhat experimental down the line they can just tack modern warfare 2 onto it and go here you go and, yeah. and raise uh, the sales figures. Um, I don't think they're just going to do Modern Warfare 2 on its own if World War 2 is selling like hotcakes, which I expect it will be because all the reaction to it's been extremely good so far. Oh, absolutely. Well, that's isn't that the first positive Call of Duty reaction since, well, Modern Black Warfare Ops 2? 2. Black <laughs> Ops 2 was, went down pretty well from what I can remember, but... Um, the Black Ops games in general aren't my cup of tea. I say that I absolutely love Black Ops 3 multiplayer. I think it's incredible, but it's single-player games are a bit too wacky for my liking. And people in general don't like the advanced movement system, which I totally understand. Um, I don't think it's the advanced movement that makes these games worse. It's everything else that comes with it, which is crazy in-game coloured maps and costumes and weird guns and pay to win yeah. supply pink, pink drops and stuff it's... with smiley face reticles yeah and gingerbread men outfits I mean it's not it's not advanced movement does it because it, it hasn't affected Titanfall in a negative way no. um, that's a, a fantastic game um, it's everything else that comes around it and advanced movement just seems to be the, the fallback, the scapegoat, whatever you want to call it, that people sort of latch on to because it's the most strikingly different thing about the games. But um, I think Call of Duty, just for its reputation and long-term survival, needs to go back to boots on the ground. That's what we're going to get. And if you like boots on the ground, you probably should pick up <laughs> Modern Warfare Remastered because it, it's going to be your cup of tea. Yeah, I fucking hate boots on the ground. <laughs> Uh, uh, I, th- I thought my head was going to explode watching the WW2 announcement where every third line was we're going back to boots on the ground fuck off well, what's your, your issue with, with boots on the ground nothing wrong with the actual style of gameplay it's the fact that it's absolutely it was their no, buzzword it's a selling point yeah it, it was their marketing tool you know it's going to be a tagline everywhere I thought, like, just please stop. Please stop saying it. I'm I'm not stupid. I can see what you're doing, and I can see that you don't actually mean what you're saying. You've just been told to keep saying it. You're going to be wandering around the supermarket when you do your weekly shop in November, and you're going to see the words boots on the ground everywhere. But it's, what I mean is, it's a bit like when you sit in a sales meeting, and the guy is trying to sell you anything, from a, you know, an IT system to a, you know, a house or whatever, and he's got a list of things that he has to keep plugging. And this one just happened to be boots on the ground. I was like, please, please stop. <laughs> it is it is strange to take away what was previously considered a key feature and replace it with nothing and then make that a USP. It's, yeah. it's pretty crazy. Is the, it, well, it's that, isn't it? It's literally saying, we're taking away jump packs. It's basically what they're saying. Okay, I'm happy with that. Back to basics. I'm 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 excited for for I'm excited for World War Two is a weird sentence. No, put jump packs into World War Two. The, the issue I have with there's two issues actually I have with with Call of Duty World War Two, and that is it'll irk me in the same way that every classic World War Two first person shooter has done, which eventually the lack of variety in the gun starts to cause extreme boredom in the game 
You can have a lot of semi-automatic rifles, a couple of half-decent submachine guns, and the rest will be absolute cack. Yeah. And then the other thing is the lack of historical um, accuracy. Into they're not having any Nazi symbolism. They're having females on the front line, uh, black women fighting in the Axis powers. <laughs> I mean, one dude in a in, wheelchair. In essence, these things aren't a problem. If it was just any other Call of Duty game that wasn't trying to be historically but yeah, accurate. When you sell no, yourself on realism. Like, no females in my video games, please. But <laughs> we know these weren't there, so why are you putting them in? And I've seen what their excuse is when they've been questioned about this at um, Sledgehammer Games. And it's like, well, we want to put the power in your hands. You can be whoever you want. But that's not World War II accurate. That's ridiculous. <laughs> so it's, it's going to end up being another one of these colourful gingerbread men Call of Duty case because they're going to put too much power in people's hands. And okay, it'll start off being somewhat like WW2 in terms of uniforms and all that. And then eventually, crazy outfits will come in via supply drops because you're not going to put super expensive Nazi uniform that's kind of accurate, but a little bit unusual. It's going to be bright orange shit yep. and, and stuff that kids want to pay money for. Weird <laughs> like, Norwegian and, pink camouflage. I have every faith <laughs> that it will start off very good and slowly degrade into absolute nonsense. Yeah, as the YouTubers get their hands on it. Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> There'll be an Independence Day designed, you know, bright red, blue, like full-on Uncle Sam hat and everything. <laughs> That'd be amazing. <laughs> I know you're joking, but you're not joking. <laughs> so should we move on from Call of Duty? Yes, yes. Uh, so the only other bit of news, I can't really speak too much about this one, so I'm, I'm hoping you guys can a little bit, but Micro Machines, or a new Micro Machines, was released by Codemasters this weekend. And it's not gone down that well. Like, no. Should we give this a little bit of context? Because um, I don't know if John's played classic Micro Machines games because you're a bit younger than us, mate. Uh, but, please, everyone's played fucking Micro Machines. Okay, okay, I'm just making God damn it. Sure. <laughs> it. I don't want to leave you out of the conversation. I, I had Micro Machines on one of those weird import things that looked like a Game Genie for my NES. Yes, yes. yeah, that, that weird adapter that yeah. I clicked you in about last time. But yeah, this is one of like Codemasters classic IPs and goes all the way back to the NES days it came out on Amiga and PC and the Mega Drive versions of the game were particularly revered because Micro Machines Turbo Tournament which was the sequel came with a built-in multi-tap in the game cartridge. The game cartridge itself had two additional control pad ports. Yep. So you can imagine how popular this was with kids for, for multiplayer. Four-player split-screen. Absolute fantastic Um couch co-op action or, or whatever and to bring this out on modern consoles I'm not going to say it's a little bit of a risk because I think it's something that curiosity will always make people want to go and buy but you have to treat it with respect Yeah, and, and realise precisely what it is that people liked about the original if you're going to try and prey on the nostalgia and bring it into a modern setting and the reviews for this have been absolutely abysmal I mean, I'm looking at them on Amazon right now. Out of on the the PS4 version, out of 51 reviews, 36 have got one star. Jesus! Absolutely shocking reaction to it. And 
the the reasons for the negativity range from bad course design to lack of in-game content to um, changing up the game playing too much by adding weapons that basically turn it into a vehicular warfare game rather than a uh, classic racing game. Yeah. And apparently it's extremely difficult to control with an analog stick. If you remember, it was very sort of twitch control on a D-pad back in the day where you'd very suddenly have to make 45-degree turns um, at super short notice because you could always see a very limited amount of the track ahead of you. Yeah. Because the screen was so small. You imagine trying to do that on an analog. You, you'll just fly all over the place. And I've watched people play it on Twitch and YouTube and everyone just seems absolutely shit. There's no one seems to be able to figure it out. It's not, it's not intuitive at all. Um, so they've taken this classic IP, which almost guarantees success whenever its head comes above the parapet every few years. And they've, it's probably the first time they've made a dud with it. And that might just ruin... Or, or wreck any possibility it has it being a success forevermore. Um, I think it's a, a massive shame to take an absolute nostalgic retro classic and made a really shit modern game out of it. I, I think this is, for me, this is especially uh, egregious because Codemasters have done this. Now, I have lost an awful lot of respect for Codemasters over the last couple of years because they've dedicated themselves to only making racing games of various flavours which meant that a, a couple of my favourite franchises that they had uh, they have the IP for they will never make again so they've gone and basically made it so that I will never buy one of their games again because I don't particularly buy racing games and then they went and made Micro Machines which should have been fucking awesome and should have been a day one buy but I'll be honest actually I had no idea it was coming nor did I I hadn't heard any news about it I just saw it on Amazon one day, and it's like nineteen ninety nine. So you'd think, well, that's a, an easy purchase. It's so cheap, but considering it, it's essentially a smartphone game in terms yep. of its depth uh, and quality. Um, Am I it's correct actually think somehow, it's multiplayer only as well? Uh, it's not multiplayer only, but it might as well be. There's very little there in terms of the single player at this point. It's it's very much designed there's around no actual story. Yeah. So it, it might as well be multiplayer for all intents and purposes. But as I was saying, even at nineteen ninety nine, it somehow managed to look expensive given what's currently there. And you know, I'm sure it's fair to say things will get added to it later on. But that's besides the point. It's like, you remember um, this time last year or a little bit further, whenever it was, when Capcom released Street Fighter Five and it had no single player? Yeah. It's just like, why are we paying so much money for a game that's clearly nowhere near finished? And it's quite clear that that's the case with Micro Machines World Series, as it's called. It's it's nowhere near ready, uh, and certainly can't justify its price even at twenty quid. It's it's too much, which is really bizarre. Yeah, I mean, like I said the first I knew it was coming was uh, a tweet from the service I rent video games from, saying we're posting this out today. I was like, wait, wait, what? Oh, okay. If I'd have known, I'd have put it on my list. I didn't know. I didn't put it on my list, and. I'm to be honest. I'm quite glad I didn't. I think I would probably cry playing one of my childhood favourites <laughs> that's been turned into that. I'm just going to read you one review here off of Amazon, if I may. So we're very short. Uh, a guy from the 
the PS4 version again. It says, very poor game. Bought it for the four-player racing action. Catch is that after each race... Uh, sorry, catch is that you can't race each other in multiplayer. You can play against others locally, but only in a very dull shootout that we lost interest in after five minutes. The worst PS4 game I've ever played. Wow. <laughs> it's just... How can you take something that's so simple in its appeal yeah. and make it so crap? If you've just done the Mega Drive game with enhanced graphics, instant classic. Yeah. If you Even if you just put it out for a five or even a tenner push, people would have lapped it up. And yeah, I really enjoyed going back to the 16-bit days and they'd play it for a little bit and move on. No problem. This is just going to tank before it's even gotten off the mark, unfortunately. It's like playing one of the old games, going around the first corner and flying off the kitchen table. Yeah. Like <laughs> oh so often would do it. That's what this game has done. It's it's fallen before it got started and it's a real shame. It's it is a shame as well, considering we've had a couple of games that have tried to be micro machines recently. The most recent one was uh was it Mantis Burn Racing. Yep, Mantis Burn Racing. Fucking Which is, brilliant did, as well. It was fucking great. I bought it for like four quid in a sale. And it's brilliant. It's micro machines. <laughs> I don't. And because uh, uh, Motorstorm, Motorstorm RC was very similar as well. Yeah, we've had a couple of games that really do seem to do it quite well. I don't understand how Cody, oh, Cody, Cody's have fucked it up quite so badly. I think they've tried to make it too much like Mario Kart whilst retaining the same. Uh, aerial viewpoint and it just doesn't work there's too much action going on on the screen at any one time if you watch footage of it on YouTube or on Twitch there's people just dying constantly it just doesn't look like fun anymore and you know even in the worst case scenario when you're playing one of the old games okay you go off the table every now and then or something but there was an obvious way to learn how to get better at it and improve and enjoy the action more with this it just seems so chaotic you, it's not a racing game, it's not a vehicular warfare game, and it's somewhere in between. And it hasn't. It's got a massive identity crisis, from what I can tell. Yeah. Um, but all the the micro machines that I can remember, uh, micro machines games that I can remember playing didn't have any kind of weapon systems, and it, it was all racing, power up orientated, and maybe the odd oil slick, but no guns and rockets and lasers and stuff. It's no, stupid. That's wipeout meets destruction derby meets twisted metal. Yeah, I think, exactly. was, I think V3 introduced uh, weaponry back on the PS1, followed by Micromaniacs, actually. Oh, wow. Fair enough. Yeah. Learn something uh, new every day. Yeah. Um, did you ever play... Uh, I say, did you ever play? You can play it right now. There's a mobile phone Micro Machines currently available. No, that's actually, another thing these it's reviews are saying. Free. It's better. People are saying the iPhone version is a lot better than this game. Yeah, it is. Wow, I mean that's a that's a pretty that's that's testament to the shit quality of your game, really, isn't it? Yeah, you just play the mobile game; it's better, and it's on a fucking phone. Yeah, that's absolutely shocking. But yeah, I'm very disappointed. I was so eager to hand my money over, um, especially at twenty quid. You don't get many new releases at twenty pound, which stimulate your excitement like a micro machines game should do, but. Yeah. I'm glad I've I've done my research on this one, even though it makes me feel like a, a tight loss for doing so. I should just drop twenty quid and not worry about it too much. But yeah, I would have been uh, very disappointed. Um, so if a game's if guaranteed you... to make you angry after only spending twenty quid on it, that's 
you know, that's a pretty bad statement in and of itself, really, isn't it? It certainly is. There was the GTA 5 update that was basically just micro machines not that long ago. That was actually pretty fun, but again, probably only lasts about an hour and a half worth of actual fun. Fair but enough. still, better than micro machines. <laughs> I wonder if the, there's room in, in the modern gaming scape for um, a micro machines esque game. I don't know if there's this other one that you guys were just talking about. Mantis Burn Is... Racing. If that's worthy of like a classic Micro Machines, or if it's just the best that this generation has to offer, but you would think that this was a simple enough premise to be able to execute effectively. I I would I tell you where I think a game like Micro Machines, assuming it was done right, would fare really well, would be something like the Switch, or yeah, if, or if Sony decided to ever fucking support it, the Vita. Yeah. You know, it's a perfect travel with as as witnessed by the fact that it's got a much better iPhone game, it's a perfect travelling game. Or should be a perfect travelling game. But yeah, maybe maybe Madness Perm Racing and Motorstorm RC is the best we get. I tell you what, you take Mantis Burn Racing and you put the word Micro Machines in the name of the title and you instantly would sell probably at least 300% more. Yeah. Of that of that game because I'm pretty sure Mantis Burn Racing didn't actually sell that many, but it's it's an indie game being released on the PlayStation and Steam as far as I'm aware. People aren't going to just pick it up just because they they don't they won't see that it's just Micro Machines. No. Well, I'd never heard of it until you just mentioned it. So and the names kind of misleading. It doesn't <laughs> necessarily reflect that it's a Micro Machines clone. I think. I think the only reason I picked it up was I think John and I maybe spoke about it and I saw a couple of screenshots and went that looks fun For I think I picked it up for 350 or 4 quid no I got it for free because I got a, <laughs> I got a voucher from PSN because I spent 50 quid in March when I bought Horizon so I got a £10 voucher that had to be spent in a month so I bought it in the sale so yeah for free so free is my favourite price and it's quite good for free. Yeah, I played at Eurogamer last year. It was the first game that I played and probably the one I had the most fun playing the entire time I was there. Nice. <laughs> yeah. Fucking fucking Codemasters. Make Operation Flashpoint games. <laughs> I don't care about racing games. I want another Operation Flashpoint game. But, uh, pipe Dreams. Should we move on to what we've been playing? Yeah. Let's go for it. Yeah. So, who wants to go first? Shall I tell my, my story of Modern Warfare Remastered? Yeah, okay. So, yeah, so um, I don't know if you remember the last time that we had a, a chat about Call of Duty, but I revealed and asked myself that... <laughs> no, not prior to that. <laughs> you bastard. Um, <laughs> prior to that conversation a few minutes ago, the last when Infinite Warfare came out, we had a chat about it, and I kind of outed myself as someone who didn't play the campaigns, yeah. at least in the early Call of Duty days. I think the first campaign that I played and finished was uh, Black Ops Three, and then I've done the one since then, which is it and in Infinite Warfare basically. And um, everyone has told me what a good campaign Modern Warfare was, and that you, you've really missed out if you haven't played it. So. 
now I was able to get the game for a fair price, 28 quid. It's like, okay, let's give this a whirl and play it, um, enhance graphic, graphical package and textures and all that stuff and, and see what it's all about. And maybe uh, too much time has passed, but I wasn't overly impressed, if I'm honest with you. Really? Um, no, I thought... I thought I, at first, I thought there's something wrong with my installation of the game because as soon as I finish a mission, I just seem to be in the next one immediately with very little going on in between. It didn't seem to do much to sort of move on the narrative very well. It's like one minute you're in one country with controlling the SAS, and the next minute you're in another one controlling American troops, and it doesn't tell you a whole lot in between. I'm like, what on earth is going on? This isn't stitched together well at all. No, it um, sounds like you're missing what was essentially the loading screens. I mean, they were there. I just thought they were lacking. I didn't think it did enough to, to, to explain the narrative very well. Okay, uh, so I didn't, I, I didn't feel particularly involved in, in the story. Um, and the problem I have with most first-person shooter single-player campaigns is that it's, it's basically a game of attrition, particularly if you play on any kind of relatively hard difficulty setting, whereby... You will die over and over and over again if you try and play it in any kind of manner that I would call fun. Whereas yeah. if you want to stay alive and not die over and over again, it's simply a case of, well, I'm just going to keep taking cover and keep taking cover and keep taking cover and get one shot off yeah. and rinse and repeat. There's too much hiding involved to make it fun. The old Infinity Ward games were very, uh, you have to find the magic pixel to stop the enemies from spawning. So you literally have to just keep moving forward and find the bit that stops everyone from spawning before you can kill Exactly. It's, I, I can stay in one place and I can be relatively safe. Every time I kill someone, I'll come back until I inch forward and yeah. then they suddenly stop spawning. So, okay, that's that exciting. And <laughs> Yeah, I just found it really, really dull. Um, and the, the problem a lot of these games tend to suffer with, from my point of view is you don't get the satisfaction of killing a CPU uh, operated enemy like you do killing someone in multiplayer Okay. and that's partly due to the skill factor or lack thereof also the way that the game doesn't provide that, that sort of feedback when you kill somebody like when you do when you play multiplayer and I even had to toggle hit markers as an option in the, in the configurables to actually know that I was hitting people. Yeah. This is like, this is just absolute spammy waste of time. <laughs> and I actually found myself enjoying some of the sort of little side games in it more than the action itself. Like at the beginning, where you have to do that, um, the the bunker test or whatever it's called. Oh yeah. Where you have to complete it under a certain number of seconds. Yeah. Right at the beginning, I was playing that repeatedly, trying to get that as low as possible and then the bit at the end whereby when you complete the game and you have to do this um, mission to rescue a VIP on a plane uh, mile high mile yeah. high did that over and over again trying to perfect that um, but I just found most of the in-game stuff was quite dull with the exception and I'm sure you won't be surprised to hear me say this all gillied up was class yeah all gillied up is still to this day probably one of my favourite single player missions in any game and that's yeah. it's so varied it is it's got a little bit of everything but for the most part there's not many enemies in it no. uh, and that's what makes it good you actually feel genuinely it's... stealthy which you never really do in a Call of Duty game at any point and it's just taking GSC out one as well. 
Yeah, just taking out one person at a time is far more exciting than you versus 100 and just standing behind some sort of metal dustbin waiting for your turn to shoot at them. And I love that there's, there's a bit in All Gillied Up whereby you're crawling through the grass and then there's enemies walking by you and APCs like you're about to get run over. Yeah. And you just have to find the right line to progress where you can keep crawling very slowly without them noticing you. And that was really, really tense. And I really enjoyed that. But that's the only time I ever felt in peril in yeah. Modern Warfare. The rest of the time, it was just a question of, will I lose patience before I get to kill them all? <laughs> yeah. But am I going to stick my head out too soon or am I going to wait long enough for my team to shoot? And that's essentially what... Modern Warfare Master became for me and found it quite boring. Didn't yeah. really engage with the story at all. Fair and nice. apart from all gillied up, I found it quite dull. Um, so I don't know if I would have felt like that had I played Modern Warfare, the campaign, the first time around because I only played multiplayer and spent many hundreds of hours into it but never dabbled in the single player, just wasn't interested. Yeah. And I think I've paid the price for that. I think I would have enjoyed it a little bit more at the time, but who knows, maybe I wouldn't have done. Um, but that was a period in gaming where I did play more single player first person shooters. Um, but now the multiplayer sucks. <laughs> the campaign, I'm not going to say it was crap because it, it definitely isn't crap, but um, I'm not getting the wow factor that I know that nine out of 10 people have played it got when they first played it. So it's lost on me, unfortunately. I've just left it a little bit too late. Fair enough. I, I have to, there are some, I, years and years and years of experience has taught me to only really play these games on hard or veteran if I'm trophy chasing because all of them, Infinity Ward games, like I say, these constantly spawning fucking enemies that you have to find the right spot to get to to stop it from happening, which can be a ball ache. Uh, Treyarch ones, World at War especially, World oh, at War God. single player, fuck me. Grenade spam. Grenade spam. Tre- Treyarch grenade spam is legendary in its That was awfulness. one thing as well, I beg your pardon if you don't mind me putting no, in quick before I lose my train of thought, but there was one thing in it that was bad from the player's point of view in terms of progression, but would be a good feature overall, is that when you're getting shot by the enemy, you get a ridiculous amount of flinch. Yeah. Whereby they can like juggle you almost. <laughs> if they hit yeah. you once, they'll hit you four or five times because you can't fire back. You're just all over the place. And it's like, well, that's actually quite realistic because if you're getting hit, there's no way you're going to be able to shoot back with any redeemable accuracy. But that doesn't happen in multiplayer in no. any Call of Duty I've ever played. And it's and it's really frustrating because it's a known thing in Call of Duty games where uh, there's a, an issue called shoot first, die first, which is yeah. part of the net code whereby you know you got the first shot in, but yet you always seem to die in the firefight. Now, if multiplayer behaved like a single player behaved, whereby if you're shooting someone, they, they get juggled and they basically can't fire back, Yeah, I think that would be better. But why have they only done it for single play where it's not particularly useful? So that that annoyed me because I think I would like to see that in multiplayer and whereby it does become more of a fair game. If you, know, if you were able to get a, a barrage of bullets on somebody first, you should win the, the gunfight more often than not. Yeah. That's yeah. just the way I think. Do you play Battlefield but, online? I haven't played a Battlefield game since Battlefield 2. Uh, I think Battlefield might be up your street a little bit. 
Yeah, you get the flinching in battle. Yeah, it's annoying at times as to how realistic the flinching is. But yeah, you do get you do get the uh, the rattle when you get hit, and it can be frustrating. But it is very very good. Yeah, maybe it's a case of be careful what you wish for. Yeah, if it was there, I might not like it. But there are those instances whereby you know you've hit someone the first time, yet they're able to get half a clip. Yeah, it is one of those things. Cause on it, you. everybody likes something different. I can't shoot first, die first. Is one of the things that I really hate about Call of Duty multiplayer. It's one of the reasons I don't play. Uh, Battlefield has always been my go-to thing for for multiplayer because it's it feels more skill based than there feels like there's a lot of luck involved maybe it's just for me because I'm old and can't play Twitch games uh, but I, I don't feel like I, I feel like I could practice for weeks and weeks and weeks on Call of Duty and still not get any better but with Battlefield putting the hours in it helps it's just Battlefield's always been my thing mm. yeah I think maybe I probably should have dabbled in one of the the recent battlefields but i was so um head down in the sand in regards to like in call of duty that i never gave it the time of day which is a bit of a shame but well, each of their own be boring if we were all the same it would but uh <laughs> yeah i I've, I've sat myself determinedly on one side of the fence when it comes to call of duty or battlefield and i would say maybe i've chosen the wrong one for recent games if uh if modern warfare 2 does get a remaster in any way have a go at the single player oh I definitely will do that basically the single player for Modern Warfare 2 is outstanding but it's also like playing a mid 90s Michael Bay movie <laughs> right, that's what Michael Bay made good movies that's... which is why I, I made sure I said mid 90s because yeah, it is it's, it's a lot of around one of his recent movies to be honest well god no <laughs> I wouldn't watch any of his movies ever again if I had my way. Uh, but yeah, Modern Warfare 2 is a is a fantastic sort. And again, it's done in five hours. You know, it's not it's not hard, it's not long, but it's so much fun. Uh, there's no big, there's no all gillied up in it. There, there's nothing to that level. But it, it's basically, it, it goes up to a high at the beginning of Mission 1 and doesn't stop until the end of the last mission it's a ton of fun I know all about the big controversial thing in it so that's not going to surprise oh, me but... no no Russian it's it's not that big a deal anymore I don't think it's it's, it's controversy's been and done and like most things it doesn't matter whether you're talking games or films or whatever in the years since the controversy we've all done much worse things in our games there you go. Um, trying to think for something that's worse than mowing down a load of Russians in an airport. I dropped a shitload of white phosphorus on civilians. <laughs> well, that wasn't in a game either. No, it was just, that <laughs> was Wednesday. <laughs> uh, I think I felt a little bit naughty the first time I banged a prostitute in Grand Theft Auto and then beat her to death to get my money back. <laughs> that's probably what else worse. Are you supposed to do? Yeah, you're not supposed to punch him in the face. <laughs> Some of the things you could get up to in The Sims was pretty, pretty gross. Yeah. <laughs> oh, do you remember when The Sims was good, wholesome fun? Supposedly. <laughs> yeah. John, save us, mate. What have you been playing? 
I I can't save us because I'm just gonna drop into the I've just played I've pretty much just played more GTA online. Fair enough. Is it the same No prostitutes, but I did go into a uh, supermarket, uh, buy a load of snacks, and then beat up the guy selling me the snacks and take the money back out of the cash register. Fair I actually enough. made a profit on that one. Nice. <laughs> You got all GTA. There's just so many little little games and adventures you can have in that world. It's the ultimate sandbox. I love it. But in all seriousness, continuing on with the gun running stuff, um, I got bored of waiting for my uh, my ticker to go up to sell stuff, and I uh, ended up just selling the 500 grand worth of stuff that I had for the extra 50%. So it was ended up being like 830,000. So I made $830,000 in GTA money without putting any effort in whatsoever. Fair enough. So yeah, gun, gun um, is, is that a lot? Is that... It's it's enough to... It's not enough to buy most things because most Fair of the enough. good things cost over a million. Yeah. That's why but shark card sort of thing. Yeah, that's why you can buy the, the 8 million shark card for like £70. Fuck me. Yeah. <laughs> People are idiots. Yes. And more so to the fact that people are idiots and the amount of money that I'm assuming EA make when they do the when they team of the season comes out and they sell um those one hundred and twenty five K packs for like two and a half thousand FIFA fun bucks, which probably equates to about thirty quid. What? Yeah. Jesus. I I have one year where I spent money on uh, Madden Ultimate Team cards. It probably was the first or second year I ever done Madden Ultimate Team, and got to the end of the year and went, "I've just spent three times the cost of the game on cards." Yep. What the fuck am I doing? That's nothing, Brooker. <laughs> I used to drop about eight hundred quid on the first night at FIFA. It's absolutely, absolutely ridiculous. But um. Whilst we're on the subject of these type of games, I've actually come to the decision that I'm not buying FIFA 18 this year because yeah. I spend I spend far too much time on those games at the detriment of my life in general and playing other games. Um, worked out that I spent about 366 hours on FIFA this year, and that was just playing matches. So none of the stuff you sort of do in between, like the trading and squad building challenges and stuff. Bloody hell! Literally an hour a day. For the whole year. <laughs> well, as I say, I'm sure it's actually a lot more given all the other activity <laughs> that goes on, but just playing yeah. matches an hour a day. But uh, Bloody hell. yeah, it's too much. So uh, the cost and the amount of time I'm not buying FIFA 18 now. I'm going to withdraw cold turkey from that shit. Wow. <laughs> so that's one less person I need to worry about on the weekend league. Yeah, I'm. Unfortunately, they're far more cunty than I am, John, so I was yeah. the least of your worries as far as weekend league was concerned. Yeah, I'm I'm starting to notice that. I I qualified for this weekend's weekend league and I just I can't I can't play it. I got really pissed off with the fact I ended up uh playing some random dude who had uh Hyongmin Son play, second player of the month. Ronaldo and Suarez squad builder challenge version. I just I just couldn't keep going because he just kept pissing me off with his constant just running down the wing. Yeah, a lot of people in the, the FIFA community are upset that 
eight out of ten people seem to have that Hongming Son, and it just basically breaks the game. Too OP, unfortunately. It's just it's just weird on how easily got he was because it was probably one of the easiest squad builders I've ever seen in my life. But it was at a time when I wasn't running a squad that would run Premier League players, so it was uh, completely useless to me. Yeah, it was. It was really cheap. Um, probably less than 100k in-game currency to get one of the best players in the game, which should be selling for like two or three million on the open market. It was. Uh, it on face value it appeared like a nice gesture by EA, but to the people who didn't get him for whatever reason, whether they couldn't afford it or they just chose to bypass it, is actually been a massive detriment to all those people that didn't pick him up. So. Uh, yeah, I think the game is is running on fumes at this point because between overpowered squad building challenge players like Son and all the uh, team of the season players who are ridiculously over the top this year, way beyond what they've been in previous years, um, it's basically a massive arms race at this point. Like, no player you get will get you any advantage. It's just about keeping up with the opposition. Yeah. It's like, they've got a nuke, you need to go and buy a nuke. It's not a question of, well, I've got a nuke and no one else has, so I get to dictate how shit goes down. It, it doesn't work like that, unfortunately. It is literally just to remain competitive. Um, so if everyone just didn't bother, you'd still be at the same sort of parity. But they're making you pay to remain on an even uh, an even footing, which is grossly unfair. Yeah, I, I burned through for when the, the league got on team of the season came out i burned through my entire club of like almost 2000 just random players that i just picked up from packs and just other squad builders just burned through all of them and I, in the end all i got was team of the season buddha boos uh baffertimby gomez and Subasic. yeah pretty much sucks <laughs> unlucky yeah so that's that was my entire experience of FIFA 17's team of the season. I really got pissed off with that, and just. But now I've got an 88 Hyungmin Sun because everyone else was using a Hyungmin Sun, so I had to do that, just, just to keep, just to keep at the same level as some other people. It's fucking awful. It is. It's it's a terrible, terrible state of affairs, and uh, the sooner people wake up to it and and move on the better i'm not just saying that as someone who's come to the end of my tether with fifa i've realized for several years that it's a big bag of shit but it became so habitual to me it's just like come home from work stick fifa on play it for a few hours spend some time with the wife go to bed that was becoming my routine and it was difficult to sort of withdraw myself from it whereas now i'm like i'm at a point whereby I've actually calculated the amount of hours I've spent on this game and I can't honestly say hand on heart I've enjoyed it that much. Maybe fleetingly enjoyed it, but overall definitely not. And you just can't keep spending that amount of time on something that isn't bringing you enough joy in return. So uh, I'm out and uh, hopefully (laughs) a few more people will be as well because... uh, it isn't going to change until more people start voting with their feet. Unfortunately, FIFA is just such a massive money-making machine now that uh, EA have no good reason to change how they're doing things. Yeah, uh, that's true. So, Brooker, what are you on? Uh, yeah, okay. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so I'll uh, I'll briefly 
uh, talk about well I, I finished I mentioned it last time uh, we recorded I, I started playing the four clip edition of Bulletstorm which I have now finished uh, literally my second sit-in of it so the first sit-in I played for a couple of hours and then jumped on and started recording the, the podcast the day after I finished editing the podcast I, I stuck Bulletstorm on again and didn't turn it off until I'd finished it it's yeah if you can rent it or if you trip across it for 15 quid I would say it's probably worth a go if you liked the you know if you liked it in the first place or if you've never played it and you like that kind of stupid crass humor which I really really do yeah it's just, you know I, I spoke about it a little bit previously it's just it's a silly shooter it's just a rude sci-fi shooter with really fun kind of leash mechanics you know you, you grab people and lob them into the air and kick them into giant cactuses and man-eating plants and boot bombs at them and things I did, I got about two-thirds of the way through and realised that I'd started the game on easy and re- and had to turn, the, turn it up a bit because it was getting a bit too easy even as the uh, because I remember some of the, the the enemies, especially towards the end, being bastard hard, and I'd managed to find a way to cheese through every area where they were bum rushing me, you know, with very little effort. So I had to whack the, the difficulty up a bit, which unfortunately meant I still only got a trophy for or an achievement for finishing it on easy because I didn't start it on normal or hard. That's not that big a deal. Yeah. Silly fun. If you guys have played, have you have you guys played Bulletstorm before? I tried for like an hour and a half the original kind of version of it. I guess you didn't like it, or I I don't know. I just don't think. I think something. I think I picked it up cheap, played it for a bit, and then just never turned it back on again. Fair enough. I've done that to many games. <laughs> <laughs> I had it on the um, the three sixty. It's very uh, underrated. I thought, and um, not surprised that it came back. Um, still don't think enough people have played it and give it its due time of day, unfortunately. But problem is that so many modern games are first-person shooters now, the market is a little bit oversaturated. And yeah. I think once you've picked your brand of what you want out of your first-person shooter, you tend to stick to them and, and only fleetingly stray off course. So games like Bulletstorm have a, a tough sell more than most I think yeah I'll, I'd agree with that I don't think I'd agree with all of that completely yeah it's uh, yeah, you're right it came out in a time when you know like we were talking earlier Call of Duty and Battlefield are you know were and still are big players and they have their big fan bases and to release anything that isn't a Call of Duty or a Battlefield you've got to have you've got to be able to sell it well and I don't think Bulletstorm sold itself well. I, I don't even know why I picked it up. I think I know. I remember when I first played it, it was because there was an advert with Cliffy B, who uh, told us that he'd created a game where you could shoot someone in the ass. <laughs> it was literally. I remember that turning up maybe as a like a thirty-second ad on Gamespot or something. I went, "Oh, that looks fun. What's that?" And I've uh, always wanted to shoot someone in the ass. I'll buy yeah. that. It was kind of the way it was. It was made. It was like you know, 
my dad said to me, you know, go to college and do this and do that. So I phoned him up the other day and told him I've made a game where I can shoot a guy in the ass. All right. (laughs) (laughs) So, yeah, but I don't think if stupid humor like that hadn't grabbed me, I don't think I ever would have played it. I'm really glad I did because it's fucking great. And I would kill for a sequel. But I think much like I said in the, the previous episode, if Gearbox have the rights to it, I'm not giving Gearbox any of my money. So they need to find someone else's wallet to uh, finance a sequel from. Yikes. Yeah, I'm not a fan of Gearbox. But, but what's uh, the, the hate for Gearbox? I just, I don't like Pitchford. I think Randy Pitchford is an arsehole. And, you know, this is coming from an alien fan. Oh, is this after the whole Colonial Marines? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> yeah, no, okay, I, I ask a silly question, I get the answer I deserve, there you go. <laughs> but it's, you know, I hope we get a sequel, and I, if they make a sequel, I will buy it, because, you know, it's not Randy Pitchford's, uh, you know, it's not Randy Pitchford that would have made it, so you kind of want to support the dev team that make the game, but I'm, I'm not buying the remaster, I'm just not. Uh, the other game I played, I came across this. The same coin lads have on their YouTube channel, I think, got hold of an early copy or release day copy of Danger Zone, and I was watching them play it live because I was at work and wasn't allowed to do anything. So all I was doing was watching YouTube videos for the majority of my day. Uh, yeah, this game looked fun. It's basically a crash test dummy facility where you do burnout crash and by that I mean uh, do you guys both know about burnout crash it's crash mode where you drive, oh, yes. as, drive as fast as you can smash then, into a freeway yeah like, that's it yeah. twat L2 and R2 or whatever controller of choice you want to want to hit and then just bounce as much as you can cause as much damage as humanly possible Basically, how I spent ninety percent of my time playing Burnout Paradise. Oh, oh, I'm sold. How much do I owe you? <laughs> do not buy Danger Zone. Basically, because it it is Crash Mode. It looks like Crash Mode, and it plays a bit like Crash Mode. But that sounds amazing. But the fun of it only lasts about ten minutes. It just it doesn't. There's something Didn't about crash mode. No, it didn't with, with Crash Mode. I Literally, I spent weeks doing it. Long after I'd got my Platinum and long after I'd gotten every trophy I needed to get and beat all of my friends several times over, I would still go and play Crash events. In Danger Zone, it just, for some reason, it doesn't, the fun doesn't last. It doesn't, uh, it's basically, the problem is every mission or every level feels like you're playing a tutorial. It do, it does feel like you're where well, you are. You're in a, I suppose, underground car park with cars that are kind of digitally created and put in front of you, and you crash into them and make things explode and get coins and things as you drive around. But every time you get to the end of it, you expect to then be let out into the street to do it in real life, and you never are. Oh, I. I bought this game on release day uh, because it had a PlayStation Plus discount. I think it cost me £7. Uh, and I I should have known better. 
I just should have known better. I can't remember the name of the people that make it, but it's the same people. They're, they are all ex-Criterion guys, so they are the guys that made Burnout and subsequently Crash Mode. But they also made last year's Dangerous Golf. Dangerous Golf? Dangerous Golf is <laughs> fucking terrible. <laughs> it is, as I shit you not, it is Burnout Crash Mode with a golf ball. Again, you do such a good job of selling it by just saying crash road. And the bastards, this is what they are doing as well, because they literally will sell this game on it's it's burnout crash mode, but instead of cars, we give you a golf ball and a museum. And I literally <gasps> I heard amazing. that and went Fucking yes, it sounds great. It's not. It's <laughs> it's so oh. so boring and so shit. I've for the for the shine to come off of a game like that so quickly is absolutely insane. The thing but, is, bro, you, you need to stop saying crash mode and then saying things are shit because when you say crash mode, I want to give someone money. And you can say <laughs> Mary Kate and Ashley fashion games crash mode, and I want to buy them. <laughs> Hannah Montana meets My Little Pony crash mode. Yeah, it's like just 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 say, well, it's it's a crap game, and we're not mentioning crash mode, and that'll do. No one will go and make a, a pool purchase then. I think the thing is, it, it would be kind of disingenuous for me not to say crash mode because it it's is like ex- it's exactly micro what... machines in front of something. Yeah, exactly. Oh, we have. Yeah. <laughs> but it's micro exactly what crash these. Mode. It's exactly what oh, these people are doing. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> Yes, yeah, exactly what these developers are doing. They're selling themselves on the fact that they're ex-criterion. They're selling themselves on the fact that they're making silly things where you drive around or hit a golf ball and things explode. They're literally selling on the fact that they, at one point, were making crash mode in a game. And I, and this is the problem. You you say crash mode, you want to hand somebody money. Twice I've done it to these people now, and not once has it been worth it. But I guarantee if they do it again, I'll go, ooh, it's crash mode with, you know, cooking equipment. Ooh, <laughs> yes, please. I'll give that a go. Because that's just, they know how to sell stuff like that. Don't, just steer clear of Danger Zone. Not I only think that, we're ready for a, pans of people. <laughs> I think we're ready for a new burnout. I mean, it's such a successful and popular series, and it must be the best part of Seven or eight years since being at Paradise, I think that was the last one, right? Yeah, yeah. Are we are we ready for a new burnout though? Are we ready for EA to sell us a game based solely on nostalgia? No, take Need for Speed, Crash Mode, and then we've got the perfect racing game. Yep, (laughs) exactly. I have to admit that you know I'm a I'm a big fan of uh, the Hot Pursuit remake for Need for Speed. So I I would quite happily take another one of those, but even then, when they've evolved each game or each each release since uh, the Hot Pursuit remake, it's just not been the same. It's not been as fun. Uh, it just doesn't feel the same to wipe somebody out. And I uh, I'd love another Burnout game, but you know we've we've all seen what EA can do with nostalgia properties. That's true. They'll... And they are sitting on a few. They've got Burnout, they've got Need for Speed, they've got Road Rash, they're not doing anything with. Um, and they can 
pull these out of the back pocket anytime their profits are looking a bit yep. ropey, which hasn't been for a while, to be honest. Oh, no. they, they'll, they'll instantly clean up of those, no problem. Oh, absolutely. And, you know, I, I have similar fears for things like Command and Conquer. Yeah. That's never coming back. I would kill for another Command and Conquer game, another good Command and Conquer game. Because... I wouldn't. And, really? and I do like Command and Conquer. Um, but what was I... the last Command and Conquer game? Wasn't Four. that one that was. Oh, wasn't that one ripped to shit? Command EA and Conquer. So many of them. It's just like, oh. Command and Conquer 4 was the one I beta tested for. And the biggest problem it had was the fact that. And, you know, this is, it was pretty indicative of what EA have done with everything since. <clears throat> Sims. It needed to be online all the time to work, even playing uh, single yeah. player. So. Like SimCity stuff. Yeah. Look. <laughs> so, uh, I'd, I'd, I would like another Command & Conquer, but I'd like another, you know, a red alert that doesn't involve Transformers, or maybe another Command & Conquer 3. Well, I think some things are, uh, are better left in retro. Um, I don't think you need to dig up Command and Conquer as a franchise to do another good RTS. I think I would rather go back and play the old ones. Um, I'm quite open to a great new real-time strategy game. I just don't think it needs to be Command and Conquer. And uh, do you want to play Halo Wars then? No, no. <laughs> I play Halo Wars or the Star Wars one. Where, where do you stand on uh, Starcraft Remastered? Oh, I'm all over that shit. Yeah, I he... love StarCraft. Yeah, you and me both. I'm very much looking forward to getting my I'm not great at it. it. Um, I, that's I another kind game of that suffers. Yeah, that's <laughs> another game that suffers for its hyper-competitivism, but I think I would just play single-player skirmishes quite happily on that one, just pretending it's a massive tower defense game, Yeah, oh, <laughs> which yeah. is what I always used to do. Oh, no, I'm, I'm good at it. I'm not Korean. I'm just good. <laughs> Are you not? <laughs> no. <laughs> Uh, but no, I'm, I'm quite up for, for StarCraft Remastered when it comes out, which isn't too far away, I don't think. Uh, I think we'll have to talk some real-time strategy when that gets I, a bit closer. I think we will. I think it's going to be a good one as well. I have wink, quite, wink. Qu- yes, quite an extensive RTS collection that I would you know, love any excuse to dig back into. Brooke, we're doing something wrong. He wants to come back for a third episode. I know. <laughs> <laughs> I haven't scared him off yet. To be fair... You know, Matt spent a fair amount of time with Val critics. I don't think there's anything we could do that they haven't done to him or me. <laughs> yeah. There's nothing you could do to me that Castro hasn't already done. <laughs> I'm going nowhere. <laughs> <laughs> right. Uh, yeah, I think we've exhausted what we've been playing. Yeah, don't play Danger Zone. Go play Bulletstorm if you have to play any of the games I've mentioned. Don't do that. So we're gonna we're gonna spend a bit of time tonight, today, this recording, talking about the the newly announced SNES SNES Mini Super classic. NES. Yeah, the Super NES Mini Classic Hyper Turbo X Edition. <laughs> Great name. Mm. Uh, I don't. So I, I kind of the thing with the when this was announced. So last year when they announced the NES, I didn't really get too excited about. It. I thought it was a really cool idea. Uh, I didn't get too excited about it. I wasn't too bothered that I couldn't get my hands on one because I still own a mint condition 
NES. I don't need the mini one. I just don't. But the SNES, when it was announced, I really kind of... Because like, it was Nintendo's worst kept secret, really, wasn't it? Everybody knew this was coming. And everybody knew, you know, one day we were just going to get an announcement and then day two you wouldn't be able to get your hands on one ever again. Which is kind of what's happened. So this game, this, this machine has been announced uh, at a... What was it? Was it 70 quid? Yep, $69.99 recommended retail price. Yeah. So, a, a slight increase on the the NES Mini, or the NES Classic. Mini but, Classic. Yeah, but not, you know, not extortionately so. I actually thought it was quite a good price. Especially for the... Uh, I have a list of games this thing comes with. Uh, and I can, I can talk about maybe half of them. I am so glad I have a retro expert on this episode. <laughs> Didn't know John was a retro expert. <laughs> Matt, please, for the love of God, tell me what Contra 3 The Alien Wars is. That is better known as Super Probotector to uh, our UK and PAL ah. region listeners. Uh, one of the best side-scrolling action games ever. Okay. And not a cheap game to acquire um, on a cartridge these days. Um, so no. that... There are many that, that will repeat this theme. Um, there's a lot of expensive games on that list, which is what yeah, upset uh, a lot of people. This is uh, this is something we're we'll probably going to talk about. So again, I'm no expert. I don't buy retro games, but I, you know, I know a man that does. Uh, and I I could go through this list and guess at two or three that are exceptionally expensive, and we're probably talking more than the seventy quid retail for the SNES Mini just for one boxed copy of these. And let's go with... There's one or two of those, yeah. Yeah. Mega Man? One or two. Uh, Mega Man's about a 50 quid game. Yeah. Um, on Japanese, uh, if you were to get it on PAL, a couple of hundred. Fuck. Easily. Um, Fuck. They are super in demand um, these days, Mega Man. They're yeah. like the collector's, collector's choice. Yeah. Of, of series to get into so um, and then of course it's got two sequels which are even rarer so yeah. it goes on and on unfortunately um, but yeah th there's not a game on there that you can pick up particularly cheap these days no. um, the main one which from a, a PAL perspective is an incredible inclusion is uh, Earthbound which is a highly regarded RPG which never came out in the PAL territory. Um, and it's a dime a dozen game in Japan. You know, you're yeah. talking 20 quid maybe at a push. Okay. Um, to, the game itself used to come in this very nice large collector's box. I don't know if you ever saw what Super Metroid used to look like. Yeah. Earthbound used to come in a similar size box with, that, with a, a big game guide and stuff. Uh, and there just wasn't that many of them around. I'm not going to say it's rare. It's just not common. Um, okay. But it's one of the best games on the Super Nintendo. And that, again, is a 200-plus game to acquire an American, so English-language version of that. And it never came out over here at all Bloody hell. under any circumstances. So the fact that that's there in a £70 bundle yeah. with 20 other excellent games is astonishing value. Uh, yeah. And so we've got you know, a lot of people will be playing that for the first time, and yeah. it's one of the best RPGs ever made. 
So some of the games on this on this machine, so we've got Contra 3, which I mentioned, Earthbound, which you mentioned, uh, Donkey Kong Country. Every, everybody loves Donkey Kong Country. It is. It's it's a fan favorite, absolutely. Yeah, it's on it's on my uh, my list of two that you absolutely have to have. I love Donkey Kong Country. Uh, Final Fantasy three, which isn't really Final Fantasy three. No, aren't you quite right? It's um, in the true chronology of Final Fantasy. It's actually Final Fantasy six. Okay. Um, but. America didn't get the first three Final Fantasy games, nor did the UK, um, or they were released under different names, not part of the Final Fantasy series. It's very complicated. Okay. So they started releasing the Final Fantasy games in the United States from Final Fantasy IV, which over there was Final Fantasy One because they hadn't had a Final Fantasy game prior to that. And then five was number two, and six, which is supposed to be, as far as Final Fantasy fanboys are concerned, the best Final Fantasy game. Okay. Well, certainly, well, certainly the most emotive um, six or three in this particular collection is, again, a truly outstanding uh, one to have. Another expensive game, talking close to £100 for that for an English language version. Jeez. Japanese ones are less than a tenner. You know, they're just so... <laughs> They're so common in Japan, it's not even funny. Fair uh, which is why a lot of the ones I have are Japanese, just for collectability's sake. Yeah. Um, but if you've if you got on board a Final Fantasy from Part Seven, like a, a lot of people will have done, and there's nothing wrong with that. Yeah, it's pretty much where just, I started. And they just weren't they just weren't out <laughs> over here at all. No. Um, then going back to Final Fantasy Three, as it is in this collection is an absolute must. If you enjoy Final Fantasy VII, you have to go back and, and really see where the series peaked before it became super popular worldwide. Okay. Fair enough. And we've got, obviously, another fan favourite called F-Zero. Yeah, F-Zero. F- Everyone F-Zero. loves F-Zero. Everyone no loves one's F-Zero. ever played that and, and didn't love it. And <laughs> great, great fast action with all that use of Mode 7 with the rotating sprites and yeah. weird level design and the music is, is so memorable from that game. Um, really punchy sort of synth music. Absolutely yeah. fantastic. So that's a welcome addition. Not one that's necessarily going to save you a lot of money in terms of buying the cartridge, but it's just one of those ones that everyone would have expected to be there. So the fact yeah. it is there is great. Yeah, uh, a couple of Kirby games, Superstar and Dream Course. I will, you know, I'll admit I didn't own a Super Nintendo, so I played some of these games around friends' houses. I never played any of the Kirby games. I don't think, certainly what? not the Super Nintendo ones. Never Kirby played Super Dream Course was like the greatest golf game ever. Oh, okay, see, <laughs> I wouldn't have even guessed it was a golf game. <laughs> yeah, I must admit, I'm not particularly interested in, in Kirby games but the fact it's going to be there to be able to play it in a convenient way yeah. means I'll, I'll have to dip into them at the very least as I understand Kirby's Superstar is a party game it's got lots of mini games in it so that's a different kettle of fish but uh, as John says Kirby's Dream Course Stroke Crash Mode is uh, <laughs> a, an amazing golf game so there you go the greatest golf game of all time fair enough wow High praise indeed. Yeah, uh, Zelda: Link to the Past, which I think is another one that everybody kind of would have expected to be there. Certainly, certainly would have hoped it, for it to have been there. I mean, again, this is super collectible and expensive these days. Yes. The PAL version of this in a box will set you back at least eighty quid, and then you'd be lucky to get it in decent condition. 
Um, it wasn't a launch game for the Super Nintendo, but it came very close thereafter. So it was one of those first forerunner mega hits on the Super Nintendo. Yeah. And out of all the games on here, I think uh, Link to the Past is aged the best in terms of its graphical style. Um, when I think 16-bit games, I think of games like Link to the Past with a rich color palette, cartoony graphics with nice animation, great storytelling, and very clever use of, of how the game world was built because it was quite a small um, ROM in terms of the size of the game, at least for that period of time on the Super Nintendo. Uh, but what they did was basically draw out a big world map and then essentially flip it so you had the difference between the light world and the dark world. So you essentially reuse the same game map, but it became twice as big. Yeah. So there's, there's like two dimensions in the game, and that extended the size of the game enormously, and it just seemed so much bigger than it really was in terms of what was actually there. But it was just very clever use of the map. And uh, it's my favorite Zelda game. I, um, for me, Zelda games went downhill after this, and I know a lot of people will crucify me for saying that. <laughs> Very careful what you say about Nintendo or Zelda on the internet, because yeah, people are passionate about these things. Um, but for me, it's where the series peaked, and it hasn't been bettered since. Uh, that's just my two cents on the matter. But yeah, I can't wait to play that again. Fair enough. Uh, we've already mentioned Mega Man X. Uh, I don't know what Secret of Mana is. <laughs> oh my goodness okay so um take take final fantasy style storytelling but take it out of a turn-based battle type rpg which your typical final fantasy fair is and put it into an action rpg like link to the past and that is secret of the manor okay um it's a very important game in the history of the super nintendo and and squaresoft in general yeah. Um, basically, Secret of Man was going to be one of the first games on the ill-fated Super Nintendo CD add-on that they were joint making, uh, which yeah. never came to be. So halfway through its development cycle, it had to be stopped and then condensed into a cartridge-sized game to be released on the Super Nintendo proper. Um, which meant we probably would have got a much better game than we got in the end. But Secret of Manor is one of the most emotive and beautiful games you'll ever play. Um, it's actually unusual for the fact it's a free-player RPG, which means you can get a multi-tap, and you'll start off in single-player, and then further throughout the game, you pick up two additional playable characters to add to your party, which the CPU will control when you're not having buddies to play with, but you can add a multi-tap and get two people to step in and control those characters. And... It was programmed by a guy called Nasir Jabelli, okay. who is a, an Iranian-born programmer who moved to the United States when he was very young. And he's famous for making a lot of the original video games on the Apple II. Cool. Which, um, you're talking late 70s there, so right at the dawn of video game making. And the games he did were so popular that it basically spawned a... PC video game industry because there just wasn't really one at the time at all uh, and he did that for a few years and then we had the uh, United States video game crash yeah. where he decided to pack up his bags and go travelling for a few years basically disappeared off the scene until um, someone in the industry who was close to got in touch with him and told him about Nintendo sort of becoming big in the States and he should speak to them he ended up going to Japan he got 
um, the cold shoulder from Nintendo, but got offered a job at Square, where he became the lead programmer at a time where Square were on the brink of closing down. This was before Final Fantasy. Yeah. And uh, he essentially was doing the job of several people in terms of programming for the games. He became their sole programmer. They had artists and and gameplay writers and stuff on the scene, but he did all the programming single-handedly and got them through a very dodgy phase of their history whereby they released Final Fantasy 1, 2, and 3 and saved the company from certain closure and made them absolutely enormous. And he didn't get paid um, a salary, as far as I'm aware. He actually took royalties. Because oh, wow. um, as it happened, when he joined Square, they didn't have enough money to pay him. So he did a bit of a Harrison Ford-style agreement like he did with Star Wars, yeah. whereby he just took a share of the royalties from all the profits. And obviously, over the years, Final Fantasy has become absolutely huge. And he was able to retire after making Secret of Manor back in the early 90s and hasn't done a video game since. Uh, a very, very special game, and the story behind it with Messia Javelli is one of gaming's great unknowns. There's so few people know about him, but he, he's probably the most important person in video game history that most people have never heard of. It's absolutely astonishing. But as far as the game goes, I actually prefer that to Link to the Past, although they're both quite similar in terms of style. And um, There's just something very uniquely beautiful about Secret of Mana. It's got a very haunting soundtrack to it and it's all about the connection between the earth and, and mother nature and stuff kind of like a vibe that a lot of games tend to go for now is something like breath of the wild i'm not saying it's a copy of secret of mana because it's not but it kind of goes with the same sort of vibe yeah and um it's a little bit out of the comfort zone for square because they do make a lot of turn-based combat rpgs and this is one of the first big action rpgs they did but my word it's a great game and uh another one that would set you back quite a few quid if you tried to buy the cartridge. Really? Yeah, you're probably talking um, 70, 80 pounds for that one. So you're getting 21 games for 80 quid instead of one. That's the beauty of this device. But, uh, as I said, next on the list, I mean, everyone knows, well, everyone knows Star Fox. They do. Or Star Wing over here. Or Star Wing, yeah. Star Fox 2 is on this. Now, correct me if I'm wrong, Star Fox 2 hasn't been released before. That's right, yeah. Which... Another interesting story with that one. <laughs> See, this is why we have you here, mate. Because I, yes. I haven't got stories like this. Okay, so I'll, I'll, I'll break that down very quickly because I realised the last one I told you about was a bit long-winded. But <laughs> essentially, Star Fox, it was about 99% complete. There are ROMs available of it and a barely incomplete version on the internet that you can play on emulators. Um, It's a little bit buggy, but for the most part, the game's all there. Now, the story with this is that the development of this sort of finished, let's say, a few months before N64 was due to launch, and they didn't want to put this out, essentially, to compete against its own new product. And with that in mind also conversely from a super nintendo point of view this technology that was used for star fox like the super effect ship was looking a little bit dated at this point so it was well we don't want to encourage people to keep a super nintendo but at the same time we don't want super nintendo users to be enjoying their consoles so much that they won't buy n64 so they just canned it and it's a bit of a shame that it hasn't been available in any other form since because the game for intents and purposes was done you know apart from a few uh dotting the i's and crossing the t's the game was there so it's been sitting 
at Nintendo for 20 odd years just doing nothing and now they've finally put it out um, it's nice because it's not been on a virtual console of any kind it's a unique product to the Super Nintendo Mini which I don't think they needed to do something like this to guarantee success but this will absolutely do that for it it's got a, a, an I, a, sorry, a unique selling point yeah. that it otherwise wouldn't have done um, which is nice so even if you've played the Super Nintendo catalogue to death, there's still at least one unique experience in there for you. See, and after the list we've got here, after that it becomes, after Street Fighter 2 Turbo Hyper Fighting, <laughs> which, Street Fighter 2, yeah. Yeah, you've got, you got to have some version yeah. of Street Fighter 2 on there, it's what the, the, the Super Nintendo was all about, it's the game that, that pushed yeah. the system and made it so popular back in the day, so it's good to have at least one version of that in there. Absolutely. After that, it's a list of games that all begin with the word super. As expected. So, Super Castlevania 4, an excellent yeah, game. That'll be the first game I play when I get mine. I um, have to admit, if, if I'd have gotten in quick enough and got on a pre order and was able to get my hands on one, it'd probably be the first one I play as well, because I'm, a, I'm yeah. quite a fan of Castlevania um, as a series. Best, um, yeah, the best 16-bit soundtrack ever. Oh, yeah. Um, as far as Castlevania games go, it's my favourite one, even though it's technically a remake of Castlevania 1. Yeah. It's just so good and timeless <laughs> that it, it doesn't matter. Um, very cool gameplay, good use of, of Mode 7 technology in there, which was you know, the Super Nintendo's big selling point or new technology that introduced... And uh, yeah, I don't think Castlevania's been better since. There's been some good ones like Rondo of Blood and Symphony of the Night. Um, Symphony of the Night is is a very different kind of game in terms of the structure of, of the castle and it turning upside down and stuff when you you've gotten so far into it, which doubles the playing size. But yeah, Castlevania Four definitely the first game I'll play when I when I get mine. It's it's absolutely fantastic. Yeah, got uh, old favorite Super Ghouls and Ghosts. Rock hard. Mm. <laughs> I think I think we discussed this when when the NES Mini came out, and uh, we were explaining to John that they were impossibly difficult games. Yes, they were. Um, bastards. They, they were arcade games designed to be coin gobblers uh, yeah. to just make you die repeatedly, um, but give you just enough squeak of enjoyment to keep you wanting to put coins in. Now, Super Ghouls and Ghosts is, is slightly different from classic Ghouls and Ghosts games because it's unique to the Super Nintendo, but it still retains the bastard difficulty. And as with all Ghouls and Ghosts games, you slog your way through seven or eight levels, you think you've finished game, you beat the final boss, and then it makes you go through the whole game again to rescue your girl, yep. which uh, you have to complete it twice, and it gets even harder. So uh, it is a bastard of a game if you're one of those ones who's obsessed with completing every game because the good thing about this mini console is that it has save states so you yeah. don't have to rely on having a set number of lives or whatever you can just sort of save your progress every level and if you die or get a cheap death you can just restart it and carry on as you were so completing this will be easier than it was but if you want to do it properly with just the number of lives you're given at the beginning of the game it will be incredibly difficult yeah but a great game and we've got Super Mario Kart, which, you know, <laughs> what, what what do you need to say about Super Mario Kart? That... Best best two-player game ever? Yeah. Possibly. <laughs> uh, I mean, for the local, local two-player anyway, split yeah. screen, it, it didn't get much better than this. Everyone 
love Mario Kart. I don't think anyone realized how much they needed Mario Kart in their life before it happened. Who would have thought a racing game with Mario characters would have been quite as special as it ended up being? Yeah. Well, yeah. It had I don't... a lot of tracks as well. It did. It had a lot of a lot of tracks and unlockable tracks as well. So not just the ones that you you got first of all and the the tracks were very well made. You know, the course design was very good. You had all the, the clever shortcuts and whatnot that you had to discover. So it was very detailed thinking. And I think that first time that you play Rainbow Road on there is like a real seminal moment in gaming. Everyone sort of remembers that. Yeah. And how gorgeous it was to look at as well as being extremely tricky to actually race on. But uh, that was a great gaming moment. And uh, I think Mario Kart is a great inclusion because we are slightly short of really good two-player games. Yeah. Uh, and that one definitely sorts that problem out straight away. So just having that on there justifies the second controller. Cool. Uh, Super. I don't know much about Super Mario RPG. Another one that didn't come out in, in power, and this was uh, another Squaresoft RPG. Okay. Uh, it was isometric, um, which was a little bit unusual for the time. Yeah. And just licensed Nintendo characters. But again, it came out right at the end of the Super Nintendo's shelf life. Um, tend to score in the sort of low 90% in terms of magazine reviews. I have a Japanese version of it, but you know, it's not really playable. Um, so another one that I'll be delving into, at least on a thorough basis, for the first time when the NES Mini comes out. But that'll be a great one because uh, it was kind of a swan song for Squaresoft in terms of doing RPGs or, or games in general at the time on Nintendo systems because it was after that they moved over to PlayStation and basically gave Nintendo the big fuck you yeah. for doing another cartridge-based system when they wanted to do CD games like Final Fantasy VII. Fair enough. Uh, we've got Super Mario of Super Mario World. Oh, come on. It's definitely a top three game on, on this list. Um, some people say it's it's the best Mario game of all time, and you know, you, you're hard-pressed to come up with a good argument to disagree. I personally prefer Mario 64, but before it went 3D, Mario World was on another level. Such a yes. cute game. Um, just really brought a sense of joy every time you play it, whether it was the action riding Yoshi for the first time. Or the, the the music in it is again it's fantastic, and a very big game as well. You know, to unlock all of the levels on there is yeah. a deep game. It takes many many hours to do. So uh, I will love going back to that. Um, it was the first Super Nintendo game I ever played, and, and definitely one of the best. I think I had that or the port equivalent on the Game Boy Advance. Yeah, they they re-released them. Um, over down the line, yeah. I've never played the Game Boy Advance ones, but I'm sure they're very good. And we've got uh, Super Metroid again, you know, th- these are like I say, all these pretty much everything that starts with the word Super, these are games that everybody knows and everybody yeah, loves. It's another one of Nintendo's heavy hitters, and again, quite late in the Super Nintendo life cycle. So even today, there'll still be some people who've never played this before, and it did come out in PAL. And again, it's one of those very expensive ones to collect these days. It's it's worth well more than it was sold for originally. Put it that way. Yeah. Um, I haven't got extensive experience of this one purely because I'd moved on from my Super Nintendo when this first came out, and it's not one that I've dipped back into too much since. But as far as Nintendo games on the Super Nintendo are concerned, this is considered to be one of the best. Yeah. And you know, it's got a very loyal following when you think of the Metroid Prime games that came out further down the line on the 
GameCube and Wii and stuff. So this is where it... It's not literally where it started, but this is when the series started to become popular. Yeah. And uh, one I'm I'm very excited about, mainly because I never played it, but I love the NES version, and that's Super Punch-Out. Yeah. Um, definitely one of the best reasons to buy the NES Mini was, was Punch-Out, and Super Punch-Out isn't too far behind on that one. Um, it's definitely a better game in general, but I don't think it's, it's quite as special as Punch-Out was in its time on the NES but it is a great game uh, nonetheless um, much more colourful and a variety of characters and let's say different move sets and uh, combos that you get from your enemies on this one are a little bit more unpredictable than they were on the NES yeah. um, but ultimately it's a game it's, it's almost like a rhythm action game and a memorization game once, once you learn the patterns it seems remarkably easy you won't get caught out too much yeah. but you're going to have to die a lot <laughs> to learn those <laughs> patterns because um, apart from let's say the first few fighters you come up against which are quite predictable and easy to adjust to uh, the, the timings and the patterns of, of the enemy fighters are, are so difficult to ascertain on the first go that it's, it's very difficult to let's say play through this yeah. first time around and not get annihilated quite a few times before you learn how each person sort of drills their movements and whatnot. So it can be a little bit frustrating, but highly satisfying once you beat it. Yeah. Cool. And finally on the list was Yoshi's Island. Yeah, yeah. so for all the intents and purposes, it was Super Mario World Part 2, and yeah. this one Mario is a baby, and he's riding on Yoshi in this one throughout. And takes a very different graphical style, much more sort of infantile, cartoony look. Um, that really depended on um, the Mode 7 technology within the Super Nintendo. But uh, again, some people also say this is the best Mario game, so there's a lot of division in, amongst the, the Mario fans as to which one is the best. Um, I personally would go for Super Mario World, but I will play more Yoshi's Island because it's the game out of the two I've played the least. Okay. Um, but it's definitely the more graphically impactful um, which may catch the eye of first-time players more than Mario World. Fair enough. So yeah, that's that's the uh, that's the game list. That's a, it's a pretty that's a very good game list. And like you say, the the cost of buying any of these, you know, on their own, for the most part, equal or exceed the cost of the the Super Nintendo. And God knows how much it must cost to get a a Super Nintendo that isn't fag breath yellow. <laughs> that is true and if it's to retain true authenticity then the Super Nintendo Classic Mini must also go yellow the first time the sun hits it absolutely otherwise we know it's it's an absolute fraud but um, yeah if you were to put this collection together whether it's just loose cartridges or in boxes it's going to cost you hundreds of pounds yeah hundreds of pounds so the value here is phenomenal and you get the bonus of one in the UK this is playing um, NTSC ROMs, so it's going to run at the full 60 hertz via HDMI, which means you're playing it at 17.5% quicker than the PAL release, which may not yeah. sound important, but if you've ever played a 60 hertz yeah. game and played its 50 hertz equivalent, <laughs> it's kind of disgusting. Yeah. And no screen borders, which you would also get on PAL. So you're getting the best versions of the game, the way the developers intended it to be played in, for the first time in the UK. So that alone makes it worthwhile for me. Quite important, actually, for games like Street Fighter when it's uh, even back then, you know, frame-by-frame frame fighting. 
<laughs> I don't know how people like who have only played PAL games think they're playing good games. I mean, it's not their fault because it's what they were sold as kids and it's what they remember. But if you ever played an NTSC version of Street Fighter 2 or something like Sonic the Hedgehog, for instance, yeah. and you saw the PAL one, yeah. they were playable. It's absolutely <laughs> gross. Um, so there's some people going to get their SNES Mini and go, oh, this is a lot quicker than I remember it being. This is well weird. And they might even think it's it's bad when it's actually the way it was always supposed to be. Yeah. So the fact that we're getting that in the UK for the first time proper, I think, is absolutely brilliant. They very easily could have done something stupid and put a 50 hertz version, which would have been bizarre just for the sake of uh, keeping it real. Um, but that would have been far too uh, retro authentic for yeah. my liking. But, I mean, so, but the, the thing we do keep, we keep the uh, the UK PAL Super Nintendo body. That's right, which was very clever. Uh, we, we've retained the nostalgic look of the thing. Because the, the Americans um, and the Japanese get the, what well, was the Famicom, wasn't it? The... So the Super Famicom looked exactly the same as ours, it just had a different name. Yeah. Uh, the American one was a big, bulky, rectangular thing, which had a different color scheme. Had purple and like violet colours instead of yeah. blue, red, yellow, and green, which is kind of strange. So I think most of America would probably prefer to have ours, and they could do ours would work over there without any issues. They're just using a USB power source yeah. and through HDMI, so you don't have the the old issues of uh, PAL and TSC compatibility. They could buy ours, and I reckon a lot of them because this isn't available in the US to pre-order yet. No, they've already probably bought up a lot of our. <laughs> our allocation let's say whether it's because they prefer the console or they just want to get their pre-order in yeah. ahead of time so but yeah um playing it in 60 hertz full speed no no screen borders and the convenience of being able to hook it up to an hdmi screen to me that's the perfect uh solution to playing these games yeah so so yeah you'll be picking or you've you've got your pre-order in for one then yeah i have a pre-order in for a uk one and the japanese one yeah excellent as a collector it's just it's just the most i have a, a soft spot for super famicom yeah. and they do have some slight variation on some of the games okay so, sometimes in some cases better some not so much i think the uk stroke american game bundle is better for the sake of having a, a bit of variety yeah it's nice to get the japanese one as well fair enough so have we got any uh any favorites couple of favorites off this list that we haven't uh, spent any time on um, I would say that the two biggest games for me on there um, from from my memory and my experience with them are Castlevania 4 and Secret of Mana but given it will be a unique experience or a first time experience being able to play Earthbound in English will be the big unique experience on there for me so that will be really cool to finally experience that which a lot of people do recognise as one of the best RPGs of all time, so be good to experience that one finally. Cool, John. Uh, Kirby Dream Course and Starwing. Fair enough. I think yeah, I think Castlevania Four is probably my top one there because it's Castlevania Four. I love Castlevania and especially Castlevania Four, and probably like I mentioned earlier, mainly because I've never played it before and I would love to. Would be Super Punch Out. Uh, yeah, you love that. There's yeah. Uh, so, do we think there's anything missing? If we got a a game that we'd really like to see there that isn't there? There's a few games that potentially could have got on there that would have been worthy um, from Nintendo's own catalogue. Pilot Wings seems an obvious omission. 
Okay, yeah. Which, which was a really clever game. If you've not not played that one, that was a, a, essentially a, a pilot stroke parachuting paragliding training course and you would go through all these various uh, aerial obstacles or jumping out of planes and trying to navigate your parachute onto landing pads in the middle of the sea. It sounds ridiculous, but it was amazing <laughs> fun at the time. Very clever game. Really showed off what the Super Nintendo could do. Um, as far as third-party heavy hitters is concerned, the obvious omission is Chrono Trigger, yeah. which was another uh, great Squaresoft RPG and another one which wasn't released in the UK, so that would have been very nice to see. There is a shortage of sports games on there. Um, now I've learned that Kirby's Dream Course is a golf game, I guess we're kind of representing, but there's no <laughs> football game, for instance. Like on the Japanese one, they have uh, Super Formation Soccer, which was called Super Soccer over here, yeah. which was quite popular. Uh, that might have been nice to have on, but I don't know which one I would omit for a football game. Probably isn't worth it, given that fifa and that's so popular in current gen who would want it i don't know but um if i was to add one game onto there for my own personal taste and if licensing wasn't a concern i would add um konami's batman returns on there because one particular genre that is very well represented and mostly remembered for in 16-bit was side-scrolling beat-em-ups and we don't have one on here which is a little bit weird um but the reason why I picked Batman Returns is it was a great movie license anyway, perhaps the best one ever, as far as I can think, at least from the 16-bit generation. And um, the reason why it appeals so much to me is that Capcom's Final Fight, which is you know up there with Streets of Rage as the best side-scrolling beat-ups of all time, was actually gash on the Super Nintendo. You know, it suffered really bad slowdown. The music sounded really tinny and, and crap. There was levels missing. You could only play it in single-player and one of the characters wasn't included. So it was just a really bad arcade conversion. It was one of those ones that everyone really wanted to see do well on the Super Nintendo. It just didn't. Whereas Konami came along and did Batman Returns, which effectively they're playing Capcom at their own game. They were sort of the masters of side-scrolling fighting games at the time, but Konami did did them, or outdid them, I should say. Yeah. And, and Batman Returns was an incredible side-scrolling fighting game. Great movie license, Wonderful graphics, amazing music, very violent for, yes. for a Nintendo game. You know, there's a lot of like cracking people's heads together and <laughs> and throwing them violently into the background and demolishing uh, scenery and stuff. It's just very, yeah. very good. Um, so if not getting a movie license was a concern, that's the one I would include and in they're probably taking out one of the Kirby games. Cool. What about you, John? Uh, I'd love to have seen uh, well, now what one was it? Super Mario Three. Okay. So that's... like the the Mario Wall Stars pack. Yeah. Yeah, that that's the one. Yeah, that that's probably my favorite of the Mario games that ever came out, just because the well, just in general, the the whole game of it was probably the most entertaining Mario game I'd ever played. Yeah, All Stars was a ton of fun. I remember playing All Stars a lot. Yeah, Mario 3 is a great game. Um, they could have easily put it on there. There was a version of Mario Wall Stars that included Super Mario World on it as well, so they could have put that ROM on there, but why they haven't, I don't know if they did it just to keep it exclusive to the NES Classic Mini. Maybe. But but they certainly could have put it on there. It wouldn't have been any hardship on them. Yeah. I think uh, from a... It's more from a nostalgia point of view and not Oh, because it's the greatest game ever, but it's because it's one of the ones that I have, like I said, for the most part, my SNES playing was with mates, and a lot of the stuff we used to play was 
you know, fighting games, so Street Fighter 2 and stuff like that, we spent an awful lot of time, I mean an extraordinary amount of time, playing the what, two or three different wrestling games that, were, that was on the Super Nintendo. So The WWF ones. Yeah, the WWF ones. Are mainly, so probably the Super, the Super WrestleMania, I think, was the one we played the most. I've got such fond memories of that awful, awful shit game. <laughs> it's a shit game. I'm, I'm so glad you it's, said it. I did. Fucking terrible, but it it's a it's one of those. It is fucking awful. But I spent so many hours of my childhood playing it. I just want to play it again. <laughs> do you know what I mean? You play it. You do one drop kick and turn it off. Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> I mean, it, it was such a, a lazy game because this was by LGN, who were renowned for doing really shit licensed games back yeah. in the day. But Super WrestleMania looked the part when you saw it in the magazines. Like that's the best looking wrestling game that's ever been made. I've got to get it. Uh, the problem was that every wrestler in it had the same um, body. Yep. Even the fat people looked skinny in it. Um, they all had the same move set without any finishing moves. <laughs> Uh, they just had slightly different like sprites drawn onto the body to differentiate the costumes. It was really, really shit. Yeah. And once you got over the fact that the presentation of it looked really nice, there was nothing there. It did get improved upon later on when they did uh, Monday Night Raw yeah. and uh, Royal Rumble. Yeah, the Royal Rumble one was good. I remember that one being a lot of fun. Yeah, they, they improved it. They added more wrestlers. They made the, the bodies look a bit more unique and they added um, signature moves in there, which was absolutely necessary. But Super WrestleMania, <laughs> my word, it is an absolute turd of a game. It's fucking awful. But you know, it was just one of those, because we've all got those really stupendously shite games that we spent far too long, far longer than was mentally sound to be playing. But yeah, I, I mean, all the WWF games I remember playing for hours and hours and hours on end. But I would have, you know, I'd have liked to have seen one on here. But obviously, you know, licensing that was never going to happen, not in a million years. I'm kind of surprised in Japan they didn't do a Fire Pro Wrestling game because those always laughed in the face of licenses anyway. Yeah. You know, they would always have WWF and New Japan Pro Wrestling people in there about being official licensed. They don't give a fuck. <laughs> so I'm surprised the Japanese one doesn't have one of those. But uh, there are no wrestling games on any version of the classic mini, unfortunately. No. Oh, well. What about Streets of Rage? <sighs> Not on the Super Nintendo. No. That's, that's a Sega-only game. So you, you, your Super Nintendo equivalent was Final Fight or something like Turtles uh, and yeah, that's the one, Final Fight. Yeah, but unfortunately, Final Fight is a stinker on the Super Nintendo. <laughs> An absolute stinker. Oh, Don't get me wrong, I still play it because I love Final Fight in general. But when you compare Super Nintendo Final Fight to, say, Final Fight on the Mega CD, which was incredible, Yeah. so disappointing because there's no, there's no reason why the Super Nintendo one couldn't have been as good. It was just poorly programmed. Yeah, Mega CD had a couple of good versions. Talking wrestling games, they had a Rage in the Cage on the Mega CD, didn't they? I loved Rage in the Cage. <laughs> I love it. There you go. I think I think we need to do a wrestling special or something because yeah. you you definitely got a bit of a boner for crap wrestling games. Oh, I have, I have, but I still do have a boner for crap wrestling games. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, that's a. I tell you what, so if if uh, if anything we've kind of said here sounds even remotely interesting. Matt, you've done a 
two hour round table <laughs> chat about the SNES Mini with uh, RGDS. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, we went into to detail about it. Um I think, in terms of coherent discussion, what we've just said is probably better. So just stick with this podcast. To be honest, if you want to hear a bunch of people reminiscing about the good old days, then uh, if you head over to RGDS podcast on iTunes, you can hear our uh, SNES Mini special on there. Um, but uh, I think this one does the job just fine. Matt is being far too modest. It absolutely should be required reading for anybody that wants to own the SNES Mini. It was a very good episode. There you go. Brooker says so. so there you go. Take from that what you will. Yeah. <laughs> I think that about wraps us up, lads, uh, for the uh, for the evening. Have we have we all got a recommendation for for people listening for the next couple of weeks? Yeah, I'll say if you're an Xbox One owner, Games with Gold this month has Watch Dogs for free. Um. A very big triple A game that perhaps didn't do as well or deliver as well as it should have done, but anything's worth playing for free, right? So give that a shot. True enough. John? I'm actually going to go with Kane and Lynch 2, which was only slightly better than Kane and Lynch 1. <laughs> it's gone uh, Games with Gold, uh, backwards compatible from last gen. Fair enough. Watch me go really left field. You guys ready for this? Okay. Yeah. On Friday. So the day this podcast comes out, assuming I can edit it in time, the Netflix series of Castlevania is released. Oh, I'm so glad you reminded me of that. <laughs> I've been looking forward to this for a long time, and as much as it very much looks like all anime ever, which to some might be a compliment, to me it tends to be a I'm not sure if I want to watch this kind of moment. It's Castlevania. It looks fucking great. Netflix on Friday. I'm just curious as to what part of the story it's going to follow because it's such a crisscross universe and chronology in Castlevania. Um, I'd, I'd, I'd like to hope that it, it would start with uh, Simon's story, so Castlevania 1 stroke, Castlevania 4, yeah. but it, it could literally be anywhere, or maybe even its own unique story, which would just annoy everybody. Uh, yeah, um, I, I think it's one of those ones that it's... I don't... I hope that the guys behind it have looked at it and gone, there is no way on God's green earth that we can please everyone. So let's just fling the book out the window and we'll just do our own thing. That, I think, will probably get the best reaction for the most part. <laughs> Remember, All I want to see is just a little bit of fan service. Yes. So just being ever so slightly true to the games. And I just want to hear just hints of classic Castlevania music, whether it's Simon's theme or Vampire Killer or Bloody Tears, you know, the classic Castlevania songs. Yeah. It doesn't have to be them in their original form, any kind of updated version or whatever, but they have to be there for authenticity. And that will, everyone will love them just for including that, whether the actual uh, episodes are any good or not. If they just pay that fan service, it will get respect. And. That's what I'm hoping it will deliver in the first episode, and then I know I can stick with it then. Yeah, for sure. I think I think that's where the, the fan service will come, more than the story. I think it will be the music. I think it has to be. But yeah, that's my uh, that's my recommendation. So yeah, uh, Matt, where where can where can people find you, mate? If they want, they to can find, find me um, on Twitter at Lambo Matt. 
or if they want to hear me ramble about retro video games at RGDS Podcast. And occasionally I'll rock up on Fail Critics from time to time, either with Character Unlock or the main movie show. So you can hear me there too. Cool. Uh, Mr. Miller, mate, until, uh, until next time. Until next time, people can find me on Twitter as the John underscore CU and on Xbox Live as Long Dong Silver. Cool. And that. it's good, isn't it? <laughs> it is. It's very clever. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, so I'm uh, at Brooker411 on Twitter and I rock up on Foul Critics writing and podcasting for them every now and then and yeah that's that's me pretty much but yes do do uh if you don't already do go and subscribe to RD, RGDS they are a very good very fun podcast uh I can't fault them at all but especially we, when I'm on it especially when Matt's on it then it's alright <laughs> then it's only just alright <laughs> we just but, uh, Straight yeah. from the bottom of the barrel, but whatever. But yeah, thanks again, Matt, for for coming on again. That's, My pleasure, anytime. It's really cool of you to come on, and obviously, it's always helpful if you're going to talk about retro games. So, someone that knows retro games a little bit more than me. I do play new stuff as well. You know? I'm not just a retro <laughs> gamer. Oh, no, of course. But of course, yeah. The last time we had you on, we were talking about Resident Evil, which again was good because we we were able to talk from right at the very beginning, all the way through to. That was that was a fun one, yes. That was Maybe a good we should one. More Resident Evil sometime. Mm, Maybe absolutely. Halloween or something. Oh, for sure. Yeah, we definitely yeah, need to spooky. figure out something to do for Halloween this year. Mm. <laughs> one for Super the diary. Cool. Yeah. Mm. Right. I think that's a. I think that's us done, gentlemen. Uh, until the next time. See you guys. Character Unlock was presented by Andrew Brooker and John Miller, with music provided with permission from Miracle of Sound from the track A Dog's Life. Character Unlock is recorded for Failed Critics and is a part of the Failed Media Network of Podcasts, along with Field and Mullinger's Underground Nights and the Failed Critics Film Podcast. And you can check us out at failedcritics.com or find us on Twitter at Character Unlock. Thanks for listening. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.